we turn some lights on? Hey, so well, first things first, you guys are up underneath me here. I mean, what is happening? I promise you, I got some stuff that will fly that far. I mean, that's just, he said, bring it. So we actually, we added, um, I think just over 100 chairs. Uh, we are at max capacity in the way that we have our chairs set up now. And so um, we pushed everything forward. So welcome to church. And so you're gonna get to know me well. Hey, so um, a couple things. That was our Disciple Now video. And we had an incredible weekend. Yep, yep, yep. So they're gonna be, a lot of them will be in the next service, but uh, we had 19 salvations this weekend, which is phenomenal to think about. But here's. Here's what's crazy, I wanna, and I wanna do this because they're not gonna get any other love other than what we give to them. And I know that there are people in here, you sometimes say it's too loud in here or it's too quiet in here, but none of this takes place. You could not hear me today if it weren't for our sound and our tech crew, and they worked tirelessly. They worked all weekend to serve our students. So Andy, Andrew, you guys right there, thank you so much. Um, you. Uh, you are not behind the scenes doing ministry. You are on the front lines of doing ministry. So we appreciate you so much for what you do. I also want to celebrate our team from Ethiopia is back. And so they had, you want to talk about crazy. Like I had to double, I mean, literally I had to verify this morning. I'm like, okay, did I get these, did I get this right? So there was over 75,000 people showed up to the gospel festivals that they did. And they had 699 salvations during it. But hold on. Leading up to it, they had an additional 600 or 700 salvation. So what God has, has done and is doing there is incredible. And so, yeah, now you can clap for that because that's phenomenal. And so um, Will, was, Will was there. He was back to work like the day he got back. I'm like, what are you doing? And so appreciate you guys that went. And it's uh, the ministry that's taken place there, just to be completely candid with you, uh, would not happen without your faithful support. And so thank you for being faithful in what you give because what God is doing, not just here in Round Rock, Hutto and Taylor, but around the world through us, it really is staggering. And so you're gonna get a video uh, report coming in the next couple of weeks, but I just wanted to share that quick update with you. All right, so one more thing and then let's get to work. Uh, we're gonna be taking communion at the end of the service. So a lot of times people think uh, when I close my Bible, it's time to run out, but uh, you don't want to miss the worship part of communion today. So just go hang out when I get done because we are going to take communion. So let me pray for us and let's get to Romans 5. God, I thank you so much for what you've done um, over the past couple of weeks in and through this faithful body. I praise you that we are able to come in today and just lift our voices to you. For us to be able to proclaim hallelujah, for us to be able to proclaim your goodness, for us to be able to talk directly to you. God, what a privilege it is. And so we turn our eyes to you today and we thank you for how faithful you have been to us. And Lord, we pray that this morning you will allow your word to impact our hearts and our lives. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak freely in every single one of us today. We are your people. You are truly our God. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Everybody in the house said, Amen, amen, amen. All right, we're in Romans 5. So if you open your Bibles there, you can open to Romans chapter 5. Uh, we just read the passage. And you know, it's interesting because uh, my wife and I were actually out to dinner. And I sat down and there was a, a waitress came up to our table and she said something. And I don't know, it wasn't English. It wasn't, it wasn't, Span it wasn't Spanish. It was, wasn't Japanese. It wasn't rap. I don't know what it was, but I didn't understand the language she was speaking. 
And so I was like, I stared at her for a second and my wife spoke up, answered like four questions. Apparently she'd asked four questions and began to have a conversation. And I'm not kidding you when I tell you, I didn't understand a word that this lady was saying. And my wife had it like crystal clear. She walked away, I'm like, how do you understand her? She's like, how could you not? I'm like, that was just hard to understand. And in Romans, a lot of the things that we study are just hard to understand. And that's why we come together and we dig in as a church family is to be able to understand this. But I, I want you to know this because I want you to have this in you because I asked my wife, I like, hey, how did you know that I didn't know what she was saying? And she said, well, the fact that you kicked me twice and I could see it in your eyes told me the story. And I would say sometimes as we're studying, I can see it in your eyes that you don't capture everything that's taken place. Well, today it's not hard. In fact, this is good. You want to know this. You need to hear this. So the, so the Apostle Paul is writing the book of Romans. He's writing to the church in Rome. We know this. Peter, which was, uh, was uh, Peter knew him. Peter understood Paul very well. And this is what Peter actually says. In 1 Peter chapter, or 2 Peter chapter 3, I'm going to pick up just towards the end here. It says, just as our beloved brother Paul, this is Paul, this is who we're studying Romans, who wrote Romans, also wrote you according to the wisdom given him. Listen to this. If he does, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks, and them, and in them on these matters or of these matters, it says, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. So you're not alone when you feel like some of these things are hard to understand. Some of these are hard to understand. Today, it is not difficult to understand what's being said today. It is hard for us to hold on to. It's hard for us to maybe believe. It's hard for us to maybe find just in that core angst of who our gut to trust it, but it's not hard to believe. Romans chapter five, I'm gonna pick up in verse one. It says, therefore, since we have been declared, that word is justified, this is declared. We studied this a couple weeks ago, declared right as if you were never wrong. Therefore, since we've been justified, how have we been declared right? It's through faith. And so through faith, and then we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what he has just proclaimed in here, it is only through Jesus and faith in Jesus that we can have peace in God. So Jesus is the key, faith, and when these two things connect, that's what it looks like. It is faith in Jesus that gives us peace with God. Now, I want us to take just a, a look into this because I think we all want peace. I think everybody in this room wants peace, but more specifically, I think everybody desires and we were designed to be at peace with God. But the reality is, is we are afflicted. The reality is, is we don't have peace of God because we, there is a war waging within us. This war comes from our emotions. It comes from our minds. It comes from our experiences. It comes from our hurts. This war that wages on us, it absolutely impacts the way that we see peace with God. In fact, I want you to have this mindset because what he's about to do for the next several verses is Paul is gonna say, and, and again, Romans is not a doctrine statement. There is doctrine in it, but it is not a doctrine statement. It is a letter to the church in Rome saying, here's what it means to be a Christian. And as a believer, as a Christian, we have peace with God. And then many of us who proclaim Christ, if we don't have peace, we're like, well, what's wrong with me? Well, I think Paul addresses it. I think Paul is gonna tell us specifically what is missing in our life that we don't have peace with God. 
as believers. This isn't just someone who doesn't know God. He's going to address that as well. But as believers, how do we struggle with being at peace with God? Well, he's going to teach us this. Chapter 5, verse 2, he keeps going. First step to understanding peace with God is peace with God. I've already said it. Let me repeat myself. comes through him, him being Jesus. It's through him we have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. Well, verse 1 and verse 2, in the very grace we stand. And so we rejoice. So we rejoice. This word rejoice is really, really important here. Because what he has done here is he's like, look, you have been declared right through your faith only by Jesus. And it's through Jesus that you're going to have peace. And now he's going to open this up and he's going to say, so you can rejoice. In other words, you can relax a little bit. You can just take a deep breath and understand that it's in Christ that you have peace with God. And it's, he's saying you've been declared right. You have been set free. You have access by faith and so you can rejoice. And I love the fact that verse 3, it says, not only that. So not only do you have peace through Jesus. Not only do you have peace, access. Not only have you been justified. Look at this. We also rejoice and our sufferings. Okay, now it's getting a little too much. I want to make sure this, because it's hard to understand. We rejoice in our sufferings. How many of you rejoice in your sufferings? I try to think of the most suffering moment I've ever had in my life. And oddly, I've got lots, but the one I thought would be most appropriate or maybe inappropriate to share was when I had my tonsils taken out as an adult. So it's been about 13 years ago, I had my tonsils removed. And I will let you know, if you are above the age of 35 and the doctor says, we want to remove your tonsils, punch him in the face and walk out. <laughs> Have no part in it. Do not do it. It is not, it is not, that's not a grown-up game, right? That's for children. It's not for grown-ups. And I had my tonsils, but I walked in, I was getting my tonsils the day of surgery. And I walk in and talking to the uh, to the nurse, and the nurse says, "All right, just put this gown or go into this room. Um, you know, put this gown on." And I said, "Okay." She goes, "Just make sure you remove everything." And I said, "Okay." So I take my gown, and I take a few steps, and I said, "Hold on, hold on. Like you want me to remove everything?" She's like, "Yeah, yeah. Just put the gown on. It's fine." I said, "Why? You're, they're ta- you know they're taking my tonsils out." And she said, "Yeah, it's in case something goes wrong." And I looked her square in the eyes and I said, ma'am, I'm being serious when I say this. If something goes so terribly wrong with my tonsils in this surgery, that my underwear get in the way, let me die. <laughs> I like, I, 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 there is no reason to keep me around. All right, just, if that's the issue, send me home. But what's funny is that suffering, that's, that's the suffering I would bring up. But the thing is, is this isn't suffering like that. In fact, I know that there are some in here who are battling other illnesses. Cancer. There are some who are battling mental issues. Some of you are battling emotional, deep, deep emotional scars. That's not what he's talking about. This word suffering is actually the word tribulation. And so he's saying, this is when everything in your world and everyone in your world crashes down. He says, you need to know that this tribulation, it produces something. And it's not anger. It's not wrath. It's not the ability to run from God. It produces endurance. It produces endurance. And then in the next verse, it says, and that endurance produces character. Not just any character, by the way. This, this Greek word, it's, it's pure character. It's true character. It's what happens in the dark. It's what happens when nobody's looking. That's the character it's talking about. And that true, pure character, it produces hope. 
Now, this word hope is hard because I, there's all sorts of science studies and experiments. I don't know if you've ever seen the one about the, the mice. Like they put two mice in these buckets. And one of them, they just put it in the bucket and try to let it swim. But it can't swim very long and it just drowns. The other mouse, mouse they put it in the bucket, he swims, 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 swims. They give him a little break, a little breather. Put him back in, swim, 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 swim. Give him a little breather, swim, 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 swim. And after a period of time, he could just swim for hours and hours and hours because he had hope. Well, I think that when we see this word hope, sometimes we're like, yeah, that hope. But this word hope is not like wishful thinking. This is where this goes wrong. Because like in my suffering, I'm going to have wishful thinking. Nope, that's not what Paul's saying here to the church in Rome. He's saying in your deepest, darkest moments, when you are building endurance through your suffering, he's like, you're going to have this hope. And this word for hope is actually the word confidence. You're going to have confidence. Now watch what happens with this confidence. Verse 5. And this confidence, I know it says hope, but that's the word confidence. And this confidence does not put us to shame. See, this isn't pride. This isn't us being confident in who we are or what we're able to do, what we're capable of. This is hope. Like we have confidence in him. And if we have confidence in him, we're never put to shame. Because he can't be put to shame. But it's not just that we have confidence in him. I want you to see what we have confidence in. This because would actually be in. We have confidence in God because what's in him, what he's placed in us, look at this, is God's love has been poured into our hearts. God's love has absolutely been poured into our hearts. This this is where this passage gets difficult. This is where, in context, for many of us in this room, this one is the one. God's love. Because I'm wondering if it'd be possible. Is it possible? I'm just wondering. Is it possible that you in your life, not the person next to you, but you, is it possible, at all plausible, that you have somehow eaten and digested the greatest lie the world and the enemy has to offer. Is it possible that you have convinced yourself because of the hurt you've been through? Is it possible that you've convinced yourself because of the anger you walk around with? Is it possible that you've convinced yourself because of the death that has been around you? Is it possible that you have convinced yourself because of the darkness in the world around us? Is it possible that we've convinced ourselves that God doesn't actually love us? And I have to say, absolutely it is. Because if we understood the depths of his love, if we understood the power of his love, Wait, first John talks about this. It talks about how deep his love is, how high his love is, how wide his love is. His love is all-encompassing of us, and we have somehow convinced ourselves. We've watered down the compassion and the love that a holy and righteous God, the creator of the universe, the king of the universe, has for us. We've watered it down to wondering, does he really care about me? Now, I think that some of this comes into our faith. I think a little bit of this is a faith battle. Because we've struggled in our faith, we struggle to trust him. And we tr trust him in all things, but specifically in the way he loves us. But he has poured his love out into our hearts. Watch this. Here's how he's done this. 
through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells within you? The Spirit of God dwells within you. And again, in 1 John chapter 4, God is love. So if God's Spirit is in us, that means that his love has entered us. His love is, fills us. And yet we have somehow, some way, convinced ourselves. Convinced ourselves. I don't know if God loves me. You talk about a tragic, tragic, I mean, devastating way to encounter and engage God. If we don't understand his very essence and what he's poured into us, there's no way we're gonna be at peace. Certainly not with him. And this is a letter written to the church to Christians in Rome, and it is still applicable today because you and I still battle the hurts, the depression, the, the faces, the darkness, the world, the politics around us. We face all of these things and we see the darkness of the world and we struggle to trust. In fact, one of the questions that I'm asked most often is how could a God do this? If God loves us, then why would this happen? I have to just simply smile. One of my old pastors told me this years ago, and I've held on to it. When people question God like that, how could God or did God really or would God really? You have to, in your own mind, your own heart, have to say, isn't that the original sin? Wasn't that the serpent in the garden that was questioning God? So could it be that it's even today, the serpent's still challenging your minds, our hearts? to question the very love of God. And so I see this moment in this passage where he says, God's love has been poured out and this is why we struggle not living at peace. He says in verse six, because while we were still weak, while we were weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That ungodly is me, it's me. That ungodly was you. And it's not just and I want you to understand this idea of ungodly because ungodly, we think that's people who do bad things. No, 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 that's people who don't trust God. So it's not about bad or good, it's about trusting or not trusting, it's about faith or not faith. And what I think is stunning to me is to understand this, why we were weak, that word weak, understand the perspective. You have to understand the perspective here. The perspective of this word weak is at the right time Christ died for us. Because while we were weak means that we were ungodly, means we were actually enemies of God. While we were his enemies, he chose at the right time to die for us. Like, like let me make sure you understand this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, it says, Once you were alienated from God and were, what's that word say? Say it out loud. Enemies. Enemies of God. And so God did something that's not natural. This is supernatural love. This is the king of the universe, the creator of all things saying, proclaiming, I love you. Even though you have despised me, even though you have questioned me, even though you are weak and I could crush you, I'm gonna to choose to offer an atonement for your sin. And at the right time, Jesus went on Calvary's cross and as he hung on Calvary's cross, all of the sins that I would ever commit in my life were on his shoulders. And the moment I said yes to Jesus, the moment I accepted Christ, 
everything that he suffered on the cross was because of me. And now the life that I live, everything that I am today, it is because of him. I get to live my life as if I've never sinned because Jesus took it. Your sin was on Jesus' shoulders. The bare way, to, this is the idea of substitutionary atonement. We hit this early in this study. The idea of it's been substituted. Jesus took all of your sin on himself and he lived without sin, but he died as if he had sinned the worst sins ever. Full weight of God's wrath falling on him. And yet me and you, God's wrath will never touch us if we're in Christ. We'll get there, Romans chapter eight, verse one. It says, therefore there is no condemnation. There will be no condemning of those who are in Christ because he already took it. He already took it for us. Romans chapter five, verse seven. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. This is Paul just sort of rambling here. Though perhaps for a good person, one might even dare to die. Now this is so good. Um, he's basically saying here, look, you need to know this wasn't normal. It's not normal for people to die for someone else. Not even good people, not even righteous people. My, uh, I grew up in a home that uh, my dad was military and he was very militant in his, in his life. In fact, I need you to know, so he would tell me my whole life, my dad said, you cannot join the military. You will not be a military man. You will not join the military. You will not join. I mean, it was pounded into me. Now, my dad was a patriot. In fact, let me support this by telling you, his dad, my grandpa, actually fought in World War II. He fought in the Korean War, and then he never picked up a rifle, but he also served in Vietnam. My dad served in Vietnam. And so I had a history, I had a heritage of guys that were patriots. My dad's still a patriot. In fact, when 9-11 took place, because my dad loves this country so much, when 9-11 took place, when those Twin Towers came crashing down, my dad, who was an old man, could barely walk, has COPD, went down to the recruiting office and tried to re-enlist in the military. And he called me and he's just firing mad. Now he wasn't a sailor, but if you talk to him, you wouldn't know that. And so I'm, I'm having a conversation with him. He's like, I won't let me. And he's kind of sharing his frustration of what he couldn't do and why they wouldn't let him join the military. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I understand. I said, but dad, look, you can't, you can't even run. I'm not going to let you in the military. And my dad, he's on the phone and he is just, he got spitting angry at me. He's like, I never ran from a fight my entire life. Don't you know what war looks like? You don't run. You don't. And he's just kind of, drill sergeant dad comes in. And so, oh, oh, let me finish the story because I made him so mad. So he's just going on, you don't run. I've never run from a fight in my life. And I said, calm down, Rambo. Let's, uh, dad didn't go over very well, just to be clear. But I was on the phone, so I was safe. But it was his love for the country that he wanted to display and show his love for the country. So he went in and was ready to go fight for it as an old, old man. Hmm. This was God's way of showing us, not that he loves country, but that he loved you. This next verse. But God shows his love for us and that while we were sinners, still sinners, he shows his love for us that while we were enemies of God, he chose to go to the cross and take your punishment. Even though we were his enemies, he still chose to show love. This is not normal. This is supernatural. This is creator of the universe. This is all compassion. In fact, it says in 1 John 4, 7 again, it says that God is love. He can't help but to show his love in everything that he does. Just to show his love. And he showed his love for us that while we were sinners, 
Isn't it interesting that God has went through, went to great lengths to demonstrate his love for us. But we still, we will still battle. We will still war within our own minds, our own emotions, our own feelings. We still war with, does he really love me? What a foolish question. Maybe it's because we can't physically see Jesus hanging on the cross for our sin. But he's telling us, Paul's saying, in Rome to the church, don't you dare ever question the love of God because he loved you so much that while you were his enemy, he went to the cross for you. But because of this question that we have, this difficulty that we have, it is hard for you and I to have peace with God. And maybe it's not that we don't know he loves us. Maybe it's because we've never really been taught how to love him. Maybe that's it. I don't know, but let me just take a stab at it. If you were to go back to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter six, Jesus was once approached by the Sadducees, Pharisees, and they said, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, yeah, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second of these is to love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love people. So many of you that have grown up in church have heard this. But if you've ever wondered, what does it look like for me to love God? How do I show God? Not work for God, no show works, but like how do I, how do I intensify my love for the one who loved me enough to offer himself for me? How do I love, how do I show love? Not go to the recruiting office, not hang on a cross, but how can you practically show God love? Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four, says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This, verse 6, these words, I command you. I command you. If you don't do this, you will fall apart at the seams. If you don't love the Lord your God, it just... It's everything that you are, you are never going to fully be at peace because it is not a relationship that is based on equal value. We can never repay God for the salvation that he's given us. But he's saying, look, if you do not love God, you're going to struggle and you're going to war. He's like, I'm commanding you to love God with everything that you are. It's a command. Well, I, how do you do that? It would be like me coming to you and saying, hey, I need you to love me no matter what I do, no matter what happens in your life. Wouldn't make sense, but I'm not your creator. And he doesn't just say these are commands. He's like, let me teach you how. So God said, you want to know how you build and intensify your love for me? I'm not a genie in a bottle. You're not going to grow your love for me because the things I give you are not going to work. He says, here's how you build that love. He says in verse 7, why don't you teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk, with, uh, talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and you shall put them as frontlets. You shall put on your forehead, between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. He's saying, look, for you to love God, it has to be all-consuming. You cannot live six days a week like you don't know who he is. Come in on Sunday and expect to allow a holy and righteous God. It's not going to happen. It's going to be artificial. But for us, if this is our day in, day out, and I'm not telling you that you are feeding all of the hungry in the world. I'm saying, he says, love the Lord your God. It's like, look, talk about it in the morning. Talk about it at night. Talk about it with your kids. 
When you go on a walk, observe God's goodness. Let God just consume every moment of your life. Let him consume what you see and what you take in. Because this is how he's going to reveal himself over and over and over to you. And his love and the depths of his love to you. 5.9 says, since therefore you have been justified by his blood. He's like, so God loves you. And since, this is a recap now. He's saying, since you have been justified, declared right, how? By the blood of Jesus, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So this was all part of the first chapters one, two, and up into the part of chapter three. He's saying, look, God's wrath is coming, it's coming. The only way you're gonna escape that is through the blood of Jesus, through Jesus. The only way you're gonna escape the wrath. And then it wasn't that we were gonna escape wrath, but we were gonna be declared right. We were gonna be saved. And so now he's repeating what he has taught in the first five chapters right here. He's like, since you've been declared right by his blood, you will also not receive the wrath that you deserve because Jesus took that for you. In verse 10, for while we were enemies, again, this is now Paul speaking directly in Romans. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. He's like, look, this is, it's not just that you were saved. You were saved for a purpose. You weren't just saved for the purpose to avoid God's wrath. You were saved to display God's love to the entire universe. It is our privilege to carry inside of us the Holy Spirit of God, which is God, which is love, so that we can love no matter what takes place around us. This is a challenge for the greatest, strongest believers that I know, to love those who attack you, to love those who politically think different than you, to love those who have different lifestyles than you, to love those who are far, far, far away from what you think is right. It is challenging for us, and yet everything that you could possibly find disgusting in this world, in people, Jesus died for. Everything that you hate in this world, the people that you despise, while they were enemies, God chose to die for them. It's astonishing to me. And Paul's saying to the church of Rome, understand what Christ means to us. Not what he meant 30, 40, 50 years ago, for us it would be not what he meant 2,000 years ago, but know what it means today. Because what it means today is as we walk around saying that we are Christians, we are to be Christ-like, and you cannot be Christ-like without the love of God flowing through us. And so this is a moment in verse 11 where he says, more than that, we rejoice in God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received, look at this. Because of what Jesus did, you now can have peace. Not just peace in life, not peace with your neighbors, not peace with your friends, not peace at work. Sometimes I think we get confused thinking that we're gonna have peace all around us. Well, we don't. We live in a oppressed world. We live in a very fallen, broken world. There is not gonna be peace outside. The peace that we have, it comes from within comes from inside. And so the picture that we have and the picture that Paul has just painted, he's like saying, you have been declared, carefully understand this, you have been declared right because of what you have believed. 
And this has happened because God loves you. Now, in turn, show his love to the world. That's what chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 speaks. And that's not difficult. Difficult to do, but it's not difficult to hear. God, I pray in this room over the next few moments as we partake of communion, as we digest what we have just taken in from your word, that you would allow the idea of peace with you to be transformed, that you would allow the fact that you love us to continue to transform us, that you would allow us to understand that our love for those around us should transform us, God, that we belong to you. We've been reconciled to you. God, that that would captivate our souls. And so I think it is very proper for me to pray over this body today, to lift up to you, God, a man and a woman, a church body who struggles at being at peace. God, I openly confess We openly confess that there are times that we battle and we struggle at trusting that you love us. And you've done nothing but show us how much you do. And so God, I pray that you would mature us. You would bring maturation in us through song, through scripture, through fellowship, through the times that we are able to invest in one another, God, that you would draw us to maturity, not so that we would have a holy huddle or a golden patch to wear, but so that we would be at peace with the depths, the height, and the width of your love for us as your people. So God, I pray over my church family today that you would let us walk in the very love that you have so freely offered to us. Thank you, God, today for telling me, for telling us how much you love us. In Jesus' name, everybody in the house said, man. Can we stand one more time?